beauty of our passage is that I think it just continues that, that picture, that story. But here's what I've been thinking about this week. All of your and my longings have been carefully curated for you, and they're only two taps away, assuming that you have an iPhone that has a facial recognition software. If you don't, maybe it's three or four taps, depending on how many passcode, passwords or uh, numbers you have for your passcode. But if, you, if I were to pull my phone out right now, I would uh, look at it, it would unlock, click on the Instagram tab or app, go down to that search button, the circle, click on that, and if you were to scroll, all of your longings, all the things that you desire, you want, have been carefully curated there like a mirror. Right now, if you were to look at my search tab, you'd find a lot of 1990s NBA basketball. A lot of Michael Jordan and Kobe Bryant would be on that tab. It's interesting because I think in some ways it is a mirror. You, if you were to click on that and you were to look at it, it's a mirror to the things that you want, that you desire, that the algorithms of how social media works is to even anticipate your needs. How many of you have had a conversation over the last month where you thought that your phone wasn't listening to you and you have this whole conversation and then the next time you pull up one of your social media apps, there's a targeted ad about whatever you were talking about. It might be kind of embarrassing to be really honest too. Like you've been designed to be in some ways, uh, hide, your, your desires have been to hijacked, to be uh, cultivated, to be called out, to be anticipated by ads and things that you're convinced that you might need. And here's, here's the point. All of those things, all of the algorithms that give you targeted ads and the things that are in your feed that you look at, they're a clue to where you're finding meaning and identity. They're a clue to where you desire to find meaning and identity. And I think today, the Apostle Paul, in Titus chapter 3, in a culture and setting that was, had all kinds of desires and passions and pleasures, it will say. He tries to give you the clue. He gives you the clue that will unlock everything that you want in an abundant and full life. And that if you miss this, if you miss what he's saying in Titus 3, you miss the whole thing. So if you have a Bible, I'd love for you to open it to Titus chapter 3. I'm going to read through the whole chapter for us. And I think what Paul's wanting to do in this chapter is he's wanting to expose you and me, which can be painful. He's wanting to wash us, and he's wanting to send us. Let's look at Titus chapter 3. I'm going to read the whole chapter here to us. Titus chapter 3 says this, Remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good, to slander no one to be peaceable and considerate and always gentle toward everyone. At one time, we too were foolish and disobedient, deceived and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of His mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that having been justified by His grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. This is a trustworthy saying, and I want you to stress these things 
so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. These things are excellent and profitable for everyone. Verse 9. But avoid foolish controversies and genealogies and arguments and quarrels about the law because these are unprofitable and useless. Warn a divisive person once and then warn them a second time. After that, have nothing to do with them. You may be sure that such people are warped and sinful and they are self-condemned. As soon as I send Artemis or Tychicus to you, do your best to come to me at Nicopolis because I've decided to winter there. Do everything you can to help Zenos, the lawyer, and Apollos on their way to see that they have everything they need. Our people must learn to devote themselves to doing what is good in order to provide for urgent needs and not live unproductive lives. Everyone with me sends you greetings. Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace and peace be with you all. If you're with us two weeks ago when we started this little mini-series in Titus, uh, Pastor Kevin read through the entire letter. And he said, after I think the second chapter, he said, how many of you have just cringed when you, what you just heard? There's that little passage about uh, wives and slaves, and for the modern year, it's like, oh, I don't know what to do with that. But for me, you know what was most cringeworthy? Although those ones, I definitely bring up different things in me. But was when Paul referenced the, the Crete poet. Do you remember that? He, he has this, it's, it's in, uh, I think, uh, it's in the first, uh, the first chapter. He says, um, he says, Cretans are always liars, evil brutes, and lazy gluttons. Okay, let's be honest right now. If you were to take out Cretans and put in another people group, and someone were to say that today, they would be destroyed, right? Like, it's, it sounds, the, the question really is this, was Paul a racist? Like, seriously, like, you have to wrestle with what he's saying. He's saying, oh, this whole people group, they are this way. That sounds like a stereotype. Sounds like he's a racist. To be, to be really honest, he would be canceled in our culture, and rightfully so, probably. And so I've been wrestling with that all week. But then you get to chapter 3, and he says this, which is the first phrase I want to focus on. He says, we too. We too. It says, at one time, we too were foolish and disobedient, deceived and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. It's all of us. And if you want to find meaning and hope and identity, the things that you actually deeply long for, it starts with an awareness of where you've gone wrong. Starts from the awareness of where you have gone wrong. We too. And we're really good at looking out at the world, and, and I'm sure in this context in Crete, looking out at their city and saying, here's all the ways that this culture is corrupt and broken and distorted. But he says we too are part of the problem. Transformation happens when you look, stop looking outside of yourself and look inside your own heart. What's actually in here? Look at some of the descriptors he uses here. He says... Uh, we have been foolish, disobedient. We've been enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. Uh, North African uh, church father, Augustine, he says, life is a gymnasium of desire. Life is a gymnasium of desire. And that our hearts are restless until they find their rest in God. We're enslaved by all kinds of things, passions and pleasures. They've been targeted with our algorithms 
malice, envy, hated and hating, and it's competition. So the first thing I want us to see today is that Paul exposes us. He exposes our need. As you look at this list, I'm not going to have you share with your neighbor, although you're welcome to later. But which of the words of this list, in a sense, are speaking to you right now that you, in a sense, we too, that you've participated in? Malice, envy, slander, enslave. What, what are the things that are enslaving you? Passions and pleasures that don't bring freedom and joy and abundance, but actually bring death. Like, what's enslaving you right now? Just in the silence of the space, trusting that God is speaking to us right now. Like, would you just acknowledge that before Him? If you work with anyone in recovery, the first step is actually acknowledging what's going on. I have a problem. That's actually the gateway, the portal to then experiencing transformation, the portal to finding the deep longings of your heart. What on this list is coming up for you right now? Just sit for a moment in silence. And acknowledge before God whatever might come to the surface. As you hold that thing that maybe somebody knows about, maybe someone does not. In the kingdom of God, awareness and acknowledgement is always the starting place to transformation. It's always the starting place to intervention. Notice what happens here in the next part. It says, when the kindness of God, verse 4, but when the kindness of God uh, someone used the word earlier, I totally forgot, used the word, I think it was Kenny maybe, the friendship of God. That's, that's what's happening here in, these, in, this, in this verse. But when the kindness and friendship of God appeared. All week I just couldn't help but think of that word, appeared. Appeared, like it came to you. You didn't go looking for it, but God came to you. It appeared. And if you're enslaved by a variety of different desires and passions, you can't fight those with a better idea or with just knowledge. You need an experience. You need an encounter. The kindness of God appeared. You have to fight fire with fire. Here's the thing that's been on my heart all week as I look at this passage and think about the context of Titus and people that are engaged in all kinds of passions and pleasures, and that he's inviting us in to expose ourselves, that you're st you have to move from your strong desires to your deepest desire. That your deepest desire is friendship with God. But right now, you might have a bunch of other desires, passions and pleasures that feel a lot stronger than that deep one. This is the clue. Right here, these verses, 4 through 7, was like a creed they would use in the early church. It, a creed as in like a saying that they would memorize 
to encapsulate, to capture the essence of the gospel, the good news of God's redemptive work in Jesus. Let's read it. The kindness and love of God appeared. He saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of His mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth. The word here for washing is just a bath. Which is really interesting. That you've been renewed by the Spirit. He poured it out on you generously. That you've been justified by grace. You've been made right with God. You're an heir of God. And you have hope for eternal life. This is what you and I, at the deepest part of our being, long for. We long for friendship with God. We long for the kindness of God, our Savior, that appears to us. It's the power source. It's the engine. It's the foundation. It's the essential ingredient. If you miss this, four through seven, if you miss this, you miss it all. But here's the question I've had to wrestle with. How do you actually experience the kindness of God if sometimes it feels like you just don't? That He feels more like an idea than a person that you get to encounter? I just gave three simple ways I think that you experience and I experience the kindness of God. You experience the kindness of God through sisters and brothers of God, through the sacraments of God, and through song and scripture of God. First, brothers and sisters, that every time that you get to spend with one another in this community as a family, with brothers and sisters that even live in different places like New Jersey, you get to taste in a small way a little glimpse of the kindness of God. That a hand on your shoulder, a kind word, actually is a tangible way you get to taste what God's kindness is like. That the way people encounter God is often through a community of kindness, of love, of gentleness. Diedrich Bonhoeffer says when he talks about confession, he says when you confess to your sister and brother where you have gone wrong, you are confessing to God and you get to receive from that sister and brother his kindness. So brothers and sisters of God, that's one way you get to experience. Second one is a big word, the sacraments of God. Just two things, baptism and communion. Baptism and communion. I love that baptism and communion, the signs that God has given us, are tangible experiences. Like Michaela had to literally get into the water. And it probably wasn't hot and maybe it wasn't cold, but that's an experience. That's an encounter. Something happened. She could feel the experience of going into the water and Kenny hitting her head on the side of the tank and then coming out of the water. That added to the experience. But if you have, if you have been baptized, like this is a little moment of remembering. Hey, I remember when I was baptized. I remember that experience when I encountered the kindness of God. When God came to me. But then second, the, the table that we're going to celebrate in a few minutes, that each week you get a little taste, a reminder of the goodness of God. That you get a little piece of bread that's been wonderfully crafted each week by Nick Johnson, unless you're gluten-free, and we'll talk about that later. And then you get to enjoy this juice. And that's actually a tangible way for you to encounter the kindness of God. That the salt that you feel from the bread or the, the, the sugar of the juice is actually made to have you have an encounter that God's kindness has come to, towards you. You get to meet Him there. But then the last thing, the song and scripture of God. I'm not, I, I, I've never, uh, I never really liked music, to be really honest, until the last couple of years. Because I realized as I sing songs in this space with God's people, something is happening that I, that I move from here, what's happening in my head where I spend a lot of my time, into what's happening in the deepest part of my being. 
that as we sing songs, we get to have a tangible encounter and experience with the kindness of God. And with the scripture, as we read it and we engage with it, God is trying to speak to us every time you open the Bible. These are all simple things that you get to taste each week, every day, every moment, a little taste of what God's kindness is like. That when the kindness of God appear, His friendship, Here's what I want you to do. I want you to turn to somebody next to you and I want you to ask this question. When was the last time you've tangibly experienced the kindness of God through somebody else? Like, when have you, when have you tasted that? And if you're like, I, I can't think of a story, that's totally fine. I'm sure somebody in your group will have a story. But when have you experienced the kindness of God through someone else or through one of these mediums? Turn to the person next to you and then I'll call you back. Ready, set, Go. My prayer for you this week, maybe in the most unexpected of ways, that you'd have a small taste and glimpse of God's kindness towards you. Romans says that it's God's kindness that leads us to repentance, to change. That if you want to experience change, if you want to have your deepest longings fulfilled and to live a life differently than you are currently, it starts with God's kindness that appeared to you in Jesus, but now every day through the Spirit. But kindness leads to repentance, to change, that uh, this isn't the end of the process, but really the beginning. That when you experience the kindness of God, you are part of an initiation ceremony, which is what baptism is. That as Michaela got under the water and she was raised to new life, she's initiated into this community, and as Kevin said, she's initiated and sent out into the world. This passage is interesting because after this beautiful display of the gospel and Paul stresses the essentialness of it and says this is trustworthy and good, he continues. And to be honest, as, as Kevin shared a couple weeks ago, if you know about Crete and the people that were there and the poet that was used, it was a city that it would make a lot of sense for Christians to disengage from. To say, you know what, let's just wait for Jesus to come back. Let's actually not love our neighbor because these people are crazy. This city is filled with all kinds of hate and slander and gossip and passions that are enslaving people. Like, let's just huddle around and, and close ourselves off from the city and just wait. But notice what Paul says at the end here. That he not only exposes us and washes us and says, that, hey, remember your baptism. But he says now, and sends us to do good. It says this uh, in verse 8. This is a trustworthy saying. I want you to stress these sayings so those who trust in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. He's connecting the kindness of God now to doing what is good. And then jump down to verse 14. Our people must learn to devote themselves to doing what is good in order to provide for urgent needs and not live unproductive lives. It was really cool to hear Ryan's story of seeing needs, urgent needs, and then figuring out how to step towards them. For the past, uh, it's about, yeah, about five years, if you're with our members and missionaries meeting, I share that for the past five years, the community, missional community that Keaton and I have led has served uh, a, a space also uh, of folks that are homeless called iHelp. And we ended that time this last month, which... Uh, has lead us into a season of figuring out what's next. And to be really honest, if, I'm going to be really honest with you, there's a lot of disappointment I carry with those five years. Disappointment of not seeing what I wanted God to do through it or through me. 
that all those meals, I counted up, those $18,000 that were spent, $18,000 that were spent, the conversations, the relationships that started and then just disappeared, the people that you build a relationship for two months and then you never hear from them again, they block you from their contacts. Like those kind of stories. The people that you would love to see be part of a community like this, but have so much social anxiety, they will never step foot in a, in a house or a community this size. Like, yeah, what are, what are we doing? Like, what, what, were we wasting our time? Was, uh, is that all a waste, basically? That's been kind of my, if I'm really honest with you, my thought. And then the last two months we were there, Keaton, my wife, has been sitting with these two women and we've been just hanging out with them, and, and they had been part of the program for almost 90 days at this point. And at the end of the 90 days, they had, they had gotten housing. It was, like a, it was like a miracle. They found this housing. They had been living in a car, and then they had gotten to this program, and then this housing had randomly opened, and Keaton had gotten their number, and so the week that they moved in the housing, we brought over a housewarming, like a housewarming gift, which was just 10 cookies or so, I think, for the two women and maybe 70 and 50 or 60 and 40 were their ages. And we show up to their new apartment, and they are just filled with unbelievable joy. We walk into their apartment, and they just could not stop talking about how God has been kind to them. And just as a side note, how often are you going to actually do good and to serve someone else when you realize the people that you're trying to serve or do good to actually have a better understanding of God than you do? in God's presence with them. That's been my experience with help often. We go into the space and they just start sharing about God's kindness and how he brought them into this home and all the things that had to go right for them to be there. And we just sat there, Keaton and I, with joy and delight. Not because of something great that we did, because we really didn't do very much, especially for these two women, but simply to experience someone else, encounter the kindness of God and for God to provide. Here's my encouragement for you. Like, where are you right now seeking to do good for the sake of the city, as Paul encourages here? And where do you feel weary? Like, ah, oh, like what I'm doing is actually doesn't really matter. Or there hasn't been a lot of fruit. Or there's been a lot of conversations and nothing has really started or developed. It's just a lot of plowing, a lot of tilling of the soil, but nothing is developing. I think what Paul is trying to say to you is don't grow weary. Like, do not grow weary of doing good, for at the right time you will reap a harvest. Philippians uh, 1 says that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion. My encouragement for us as a church, and I know the stories in this room of people that have been faithful in spaces for some, at this point for decades, that have maybe not seen the harvest that they have desired to see, you would not grow weary that the motivation would be love, not outcomes and results. That it would be the kindness of God that's appeared to you that then through you is channeled to others. But do not grow weary. Keep your hand to the plow. Stay in the harvest field because at the right time, God will reap a harvest. And you'll get to taste a small glimpse of it. I'm going to lead us to the table. But I'd love for just to sit again in, in silence. This question was on the screen uh, for the last couple of weeks. Uh, it's discuss and pray. I, I just love for you to, you don't need to discuss necessarily, but I'd love for you just to right now pray. And I'd love for you to pray, what is God doing right now? What is he, what is he doing through this, this message, through this morning? I've been so encouraged through all the different parts of the liturgy. What is God trying to say to you?
to encourage you, to showcase his kindness towards you. Would you just sit in silence for a few seconds and and try to have that thing cemented in your heart? I'd love for you to, uh, to take a posture of receiving, maybe with your hands, your palms being open, or with your feet on the ground, if that's helpful to ground yourself. And as we come to the communion table, to remember the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus, my encouragement and invitation for you is to bring your whole self to the table, to bring the passions and pleasures and things that actually maybe enslave you currently, knowing that at the table you will experience the kindness of God. Thomas Kempis, he says this, God knew the worst about us before he chose to love us. And therefore, no discovery now can disillusion him about us in the way that we are so often disillusioned about ourselves and quench his determination to bless us. He took knowledge of you in love. Would you come to the table? Would you receive from Jesus a taste, a glimpse of his kindness? And would you hold the elements and we will take communion all together with the mystery of our faith?